I'm Rico, and this is the Always the Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Uh, today, I wanted to take a quick moment just to let you guys know that uh, my co-host, Jessica, is not on the show today. Uh, she is going through a bit of a personal matter. Her There was a loss in the family for her, so she is with her family now. So if you could send your condolences and well wishes, you can send it to the Instagram, Facebook, any of the social media at Always Critic Pod. Just keep the family in your thoughts and if your prayers, if you share that faith. So just wanted to let you know that up front. Now, today, I am actually uh, very excited because I am joined by a good friend of mine. Uh, we share a very high passion of movies and this is my friend Chipper Beal. Chipper, how you doing today? Hey, doing good. Excited, excited to be here. <laughs> I'm ex- I'm excited for you to be here too. Uh, so uh, we have a, a couple of talking points that we're gonna go through. A couple of movies we're gonna talk about. These are movies that came out in January that we haven't really had time on the podcast to kind of discuss. So I, you know, this is a pretty good chance for us to do that. But before. We get into any discussion. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars goes a long way for us. Also, check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Always Critic Pod. And finally, if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support for the show. So you can check us out on our page on patreon.com slash always critic pot. So today, the two movies that we're going to talk about, uh, the first one is going to be a, what the movie calls a requel, I think is how they, they kind of announced themselves in a way, not necessarily a prequel, but not really a sequel. It's a weird thing. And then the second movie that we'll talk about is The Tender Bar, which is currently playing on Amazon Prime. Mm. But before we get to that, Oscars. Yeah. Now, as of recording, we are recording on Monday night, February 7th, and the Oscar nominees come out tomorrow, February 8th. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to gauge what you're thinking in terms of like this Oscar season. What are some of your favorite things? What are you expecting from these nominees and what would disappoint you if something doesn't get nominated or if something does get nominated that you weren't expecting. So fire away. Like, let me know what you're thinking about this slate of movies that is in the conversation right now. Yeah. Well, first off, like with the Oscars, I go into anything to deal with the Oscars expecting disappointment. So if you say, <laughs> if you do that, you know, you can always be surprised. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting year because there are not as many, I would say, clear cut front runners as there have been in previous years. Mm. Um, I mean, for actor, people say Will Smith, and I still think that that probably is the front runner. If it went to somebody like, you know, you know, Garfield or something like that might be a surprise, but not a huge surprise. As far as the nominees go, I feel like what would be a surprise? The one that people are talking about is actress, which is Kristen Stewart, who was yeah. seemingly the front runner for a hot minute, but now 
it's like she, what she didn't get nominated for a SAG or no, wasn't even nominated. Yeah, which I mean, that would be that would be very shocking to me. I still, if I had, if you asked me right now, if I had to put money on it, I'd still guess that she'd be nominated. But I mean, at this point, if she wasn't, I couldn't be. I couldn't consider myself super shocked. I mean, it's just it, it's weird how that flipped there that narrative for oh man she she's the front runner and all of a sudden now we're kind of like expect you know hoping that she gets nominated because now we don't even expect her to win because it feels like olivia coleman has kind of like moved up you know yeah (laughs) and somehow uh nicole kidman has moved up ahead of her in the conversation for i uh, you know being the ricardos yeah uh i was not really a fan of being the Ricardos, but it's getting a lot of traction. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> that is a great question. She, Nicole Kidman must be just like practicing black magic or something <laughs> to get nominated. Like it's ridiculous. I mean, that's that is the one I expect her to get nominated, and I don't even mind. Like Stewart is probably my favorite of those performances of the ones people are talking about. If she doesn't get nominated and it's somebody else, like you know, that's that's fine. But if Nicole Kidman wins. That That's a weird that thing. is that is preposterous. I mean, it's just <laughs> that. I mean, I that movie, and I love Sorkin, but n- not much of that movie worked at all to me. I mean, I think they try to cram in too much uh, plot wise because for some, for those who don't know, the movie takes place over a week, and they like shoehorn all these different things that in real life happened over different parts of different years so to really condense it to make it more dramatic they all fit into one week i think for me though because of the fact that they fit way too much into it it kind of leaves like a where is this going feeling to it and the performances don't stand out that much i don't really see much of lucille ball in her performance no that and this goes over to another topic as well. The other one that was very like surprising to me in all these other awards shows or just awards so far has been Javier Bardem. I mean, he's yes. popping up everywhere. And and I like, I mean, he's a great actor. And I actually thought that he was pretty good in the movie. Um, but the reality is with everybody that's seemingly a lock for the Oscars – for, for that category of actor, I think that if Javier if Javier gets in, to me that means that, and I think this is going to happen. But if if this if if it went the way I'd want to, I would thank the Oscar gods, or whatever. And that's I don't want Javier. I want Nicolas Cage for Pig. Yes, and I think, yes. and I ultimately think that if Javier gets in, that means Cage is out. I right. think that those two would switch. Um, and it would be awful because I think that Cage's performance is one of the best performances of the year. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. I just rewatched Pig the other day and it's just like, it's it's just like such a great showcase of acting as far as like, you know, it's Cage being Cage, but like even when he's not talking, he's acting. Like you can understand like what he's feeling. There's a subtleness to it. Yeah. Something that you don't always get from Cage. Cage kind of is over the top a lot of times, 
but he is subdued, but he, he gives off so much when he's not seemingly doing something Yeah, in, in the performance. It's, it's great. Um, here's, here's one question because I'm kind of scared of this movie, uh, getting, you know, out of nowhere, becoming the dark horse and then winning. Don't look up. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation about this movie. I don't think this is a good movie. I wa I watched it. I watched it about a week ago and I, I, I had actually talked to you before and you told me what you thought of it. I agree. I don't know if I think it's like a terrible movie to me. It's just like, what, how does this movie have any place in the conversation? Like it's such, it has some really good performances in it, but I mean, the, the fact that this movie could potentially, it more than likely will be nominated for best picture. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, fine but if it wins i mean what are we talking about here <laughs> like right there's so many other movies i prefer over this because this movie just it the reason why it's in the conversation is because it's so divisive yeah well yeah uh there's so many people who are on one side or the other of the subject matter of the movie and what what kind of puts me off from it is the fact that it feels like it is trying to get a point across. It's hammering it, hammering it, and it never relents. And I I get what Adam McKay is striving for. He is trying to get us to pay attention. But after a certain point, it becomes droning almost. It's really frustrating. I really like McKay and like, you know, I love his the silly comedies, but I, I thought the big short was great. And I thought Vice was starting to get a little bit like self-important, I would say, but I still liked mm -hmm. it. I felt like this movie was full on complete up its own rear end. Like, and the funny thing is like, it is a message movie where it's like, or it has its ideals and it's kind of bashing you like to like listen, but it's also like, I watched that movie. I'm just like, this movie, this movie doesn't really have anything that interesting to say. Like, it's kind of just no. like, it's just like, hey, audience, like, did you know that, you know, the world is divided? Did you know that people don't listen to scientists? Did you know that social media is bad? It's like, yeah, like, I kind of already knew all of this. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of hard to satirize something that's already so crazy to begin with. Yeah. And I don't even know if satire is a good word for the movie. It just feels like it kind of feels like a copy and paste of what's happening. It, yeah, it's a copy and paste of what's happening. But then also like when it goes into. What's the word I would use? It goes really into like character characterization, I guess, or caricature mm -hmm. like the Jonah Hill character is like, you know, and I get it, like politicians are idiots and or a lot of them are, and there's, you know, oh, larger than life characters, but I'm just like, this guy's not a real person. <laughs> like, right. it's, it's just, it's, it's so ridiculous to the point of, I mean, it's almost more just like straight up farce than it is really smart satire. But I don't know. I did think, I thought Leo was very good in the movie and Jennifer Lawrence was too. Um, 
So, I mean, if they were recognized, I'd be better with it. I just don't think the movie itself has any right to be in the conversation. I don't think so either. So I think that uh, one last question, because I think that this will be important, at least for people who are watching the Oscars when it does come eventually at the end of March, which of the major blockbusters actually gets the nomination for best picture? I think it's Dune. I don't think there's another one after that. It's Dune. There, I it's mean, Dune, yeah. Right? It's the I know only there's, one, yeah. I know there's support for like Spider-Man like to possibly, but I don't think it's going to happen. No, I mean, it would be great if it did because people, more people would watch the show. But I mean, Dune's the, Dune, I mean, a lot of people are saying this. Dune's going to be this year's Fury Road. It's going to be the movie that's like the blockbuster that they led in. It's going to get all of the technical awards. And at the end of the night, it's going to be like, man, Dune really sweeped. But then it's also like, yeah, but like, they're never, they would never give it best picture. They'll nominate it, but. Right. It'll, it'll sweep all the below the line Mm -hmm. awards. So it's going to look good on paper when they like win like four Oscars, but it's not going to be ones that people are like talking big about, you know? So those are our thoughts going into the nominees. Hopefully we're not too disappointed with, with what they nominee. We would love Nicolas Cage to be recognized. Um, so hopefully he is, and that would be, I think our biggest thing. And also Kristen Stewart, at least get a nomination because I think the performance, I, I believe you really enjoyed the movie. I kind of had some mixed feelings on it, but I think we both can say that Kristen Stewart was very good in that, in that role. She's, she's great. She is great. So, uh, let's go ahead and let's move on to our next topic, which is going to be our first movie. We are going to talk about Scream, and no, not the 1996 version. We are talking about the 2022 version. So the IMDb synopsis, well, actually, this is the letterbox synopsis. Sorry about that. 25 years after a streak of brutal murder shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. Now, this movie is directed by Matt Badinelli Open and Tyler Gillette, they were the directors of Ready or Not from 2019. It was written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. We have Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette returning, and they are joining new members of the cast, which are Melissa Barrera and Jack Quaid, among many others. Uh, box office-wise, Pretty good. So far, it's made $68.9 million in the United States, $120 million worldwide. Uh, Pretty good for a January release. Critics like it at 78%. Audiences are pretty good with it as well at 82 The critics' consensus reads, The fifth scream finds the franchise working harder than ever to maintain its meta edge and succeeding surprisingly often. The audience's consensus says Scream... 2022 definitely isn't shy about calling back to the franchise's past, but it's still fun and scary in its own unique way. So, Chipper, yeah, what did you think of this new version of Scream? Um, in a short amount of words, I really, really enjoyed it. Bordering on, I think it's one of those movies that I will watch, you know, more down the road, and I could see myself like full on being like, love it. I think 
I'm a big I'm a big scream fan of like the franchise and I'm a big horror fan in general and I definitely think Scream 2 is really great but I think that this is probably actually the second best movie behind behind the the original to me still but um no I thought it was super clever very like suspenseful when it needs to be you know, I liked all the new characters. I thought the use of the legacy characters was great. I thought the use of like terms like legacy character and, you know, re requel or whatever, I thought was really clever. Um, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Particularly, I've had a feeling it would be good because I loved Ready or Not. And I knew that before because yes. I think and I know I know I know their names, but like I know that they go their name is like radio silence is what they call themselves or, or whatnot. But like, um, I thought ready or not was such a perfect blend of like humor and horror. And so when I heard that they were doing scream, it was like, those are the only people to do it, you know? And I have to say, like, I feel like it, it definitely paid off. I, I very much enjoyed it. I think that this is a very good use of, the meta humor or meta context for a movie. Yeah. Um, the entire series has kind of always played around with that meta aspect of, you know, you understand the whole thing, starting with the first one. Like, are you, do you like scary movies and like talking about other types of movies and what the rules are, the tropes um, and stuff, yeah, all the tropes. So, and this movie, you know, dives right in and it makes references to other things that we are aware of in pop culture that, it does. It's very smart in the way it does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, the movie kind of does feel somewhat predictable uh, just because since it's calling back to the original and some of the prior movies, you kind of see like some of the stuff almost telegraphed to the end. Doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable getting there. Yeah. But there's just things that you notice like, huh? I think I can figure out the pieces here and there as the movie's going along. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my only criticism of it is that it you can kind of see where it's going right from I would say quarter way through the movie you're like, "Oh, okay, I think I I see where it's going. I see the major players here." Yeah, I I actually agree. Part of the problem is almost more the problem with just sort of the structure of the Scream franchise in general, because we know we're leading up. I mean, they're basically horror versions of whodunit films. And so, you know, when you know the players, you know that whoever the killer or killers is going to be revealed to be, you know, it's like, well, it's only one or two of this group of people. And so when that happened, and I won't spoil it, but when it happened, it was kind of like, at this point, you know, the shock of the original movie has been done already. There's not really too much that they can do to, like, really wow you, I guess, anymore. Unless they, you know, did something off the wall. But I agree. Even though I didn't find, like, the reveal to be super, super shocking, you know, the the film... The journey was was you know fun enough, and so I didn't mind. And the third act is still fun; it's just not as shocking as like the original was, of course. Exactly. So, before we get into any type of spoilers, were there any other things that you wanted to touch upon? Um, I was thinking one thing I will say here is that the movie does 
mess around with the concept of legacy characters and new characters. So how did you feel about the new characters first? And then how did you feel about the legacy characters returning? I, I mean, I like all the new characters um, a fair amount. I really enjoyed um, the two uh, the two sisters. The, the two sisters. Yeah. yeah um, they're played by Melissa Barrera and uh, Jenny Ortega. Yeah. Those are the two sisters. Which I thought – I've heard um, Jenny Ortega has gotten a lot of praise, and I think she – dutifully so. Like I think she's really, really good. Um, I think, you know, the lead, the Melissa's character is, is very interesting. There is, and I won't get into spoilers now. There's an aspect to her character that I found a little odd. Um, but I still thought that she had sort of the intensity that you would want from like a final girl, the kind of like, you know, hard edge. So I really enjoyed her, and I thought all the other, all the other like of the friend groups, I thought were excellent. Um, really funny dynamics, really you know, interesting, not not unlikable, you know, except for maybe a few. Um, I thought they were great. As far as the legacy characters go, I mean, I'm a sucker for the franchise, and so like it's honestly, they probably could have done worse with it. And I still would have been satisfied to some extent just because I like <laughs> just because I like these characters and like seeing them again. But I thought the script was really it justifies having them in the movie pretty well. And I thought that the performances were really good, particularly from David Arquette. I yeah, thought he I, was the standout to me. Um, I will say I was surprised. I thought that they would be in the movie more. And I was mm. not that they're not that I walked out saying thinking they weren't in it enough. It's just like we got like I don't know like forty minutes, however far into the movie, and I was kind of just like, oh man, we've only been with new characters. I haven't seen any of the old characters yet, so I was pretty surprised at how long they held off on showing them. Um, but no, I thought I thought they're all excellent. Yeah, I, I enjoy a lot of the cast. I think. Uh, Jack Quaid, he was a, a fun character. Like he had this, a very like concerning and kind of uh, goofy type of characteristic to him throughout the movie. Uh, you, everyone does have like that hint of suspicion, which I think they did a very good job on. You know, kind of like, well, maybe it's you, maybe it's you, and not really being able to pick out right away who it is. Especially when they're all together. Yeah. And uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown, who plays Mindy, she's the one kind of like breaking down the rules. We'll we'll talk about them more in spoilers. But I really enjoy that you can go to each character and you can't be 100% sure to rule them out. Yeah. Which was a very good job. And the legacy characters, I mean, it's great to see them all the time. They're, it's great to see them. Uh, Nev is great. Courtney, David, even like some other smaller characters like Sheriff Judy Hicks, played by Marley Shelton. Uh, you know, Martha Meeks, played by Heather Matarazzo. Uh, so it's fun seeing those characters, but we'll talk more because there's one in particular that is kind of weird to me. That they were in this movie and you you made a reference to them. So we'll talk about them now in spoilers right after this. 
the greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, let's go ahead and let's talk about spoilers to Scream from 2022. All right, so the first thing right out of the way, I kind of want to talk about Melissa Barrera's character mm-hmm. and the thing that's going on with her throughout the movie. The big, I guess the big shock for her and for the audience is that she is the daughter of um, Billy, Billy Loomis from the original movie. Um, she, I guess he cheated on Sidney Prescott sometime in high school and she is the daughter of him with another girl and, and it's a weird thing. And not only that, but it gets even weirder. She sees her dad everywhere, Mm -hmm. like sees him talking to her. Like he pops up in, in different places, like a ghost almost. Yeah. How did you feel about that? It was strange. I, it's funny because in a way it is the biggest, it is my biggest flaw with the movie, but in a weird way, it also kind of speaks to the quality of the movie that it doesn't bother me that much because this is the sort of, I feel like this is the sort of creative decision that could tank other movies because not only is it like it's bringing back a character who's dead in a very strange, like ghoulish way, but it's also retroactively like rewriting because if you watch the original scream. There's absolutely zero indication that he's, I mean, like he's obviously not a good guy. So like, it's not far out of the realm of possibility, but like the movie doesn't ever make you think that he's messing around with other, you know, girls or anything. No, so never. it's, it's kind of, it is kind of a it's a I would say watching the movie it's I wasn't like oh this is ridiculous this is bizarre it was more just like hmm this is a curious decision and it's a ha- curious decision yeah and to have him be actually in the movie was very odd i mean i yeah i don't it, it was definitely the weakest aspect so it took me out of it, but not – it wasn't so distractingly bad is what I would say. And then on top of that, the way they would insinuate that her character – which, by the way, her character name is Sam in the movie, Sam Carpenter. Um, the way they insinuated that the trait of being a serial killer gets passed on. Yeah. Like, like you, you know, know you're, you're just, just like, like me, me, you know, mm-hmm. like – you, you have, have to, be, you know, be cold blooded and whatever. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't know if that's a trait that you pass on, especially yeah. with someone who you never met. Yeah, man. So it, it's so weird. Serial, serial killitis. It's the new, yeah, yeah. It's the new diabetes. Um, it goes down from generation oh to generation. It goes down from generation to generation. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the new kids that are in this movie, the new teenagers. Uh, the whole concept, uh, like this movie is meta. Oh yeah. Um, they really make reference. I think the best example I could give is like the, the sequel trilogy from star Wars is kind of what they're referencing. Yeah. Where 
They referenced the Knives Out guy. (laughs) Yeah, they yeah they did. They meant they referenced the Knives Out guy, and talking about the whole concept of you know we have new bit players and we have legacy people returning, and you know they point out at David Arquette, like I got a kick out of it. I thought it was hilarious, Uh, and then the conversation gets pushed even further towards the end when we get our reveal of the killers. They're they're in the group, and those killers are Amber, who's played by Mikey Madison, uh, and by Jack Quaid, of course, for uh, who plays Richie. Uh, those two characters are the killers in the end. Which did you find surprising? No, no, that exactly. That homegirl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the killer as soon as she was cast in this movie. I could have told <laughs> you this. I could have told you this a year ago. I don't trust her. I haven't seen her in anything else. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be able to get past it. I she something. Of, I, I guess it's because I mean, it just shows that like your first impressions of somebody is kind of in, like in a movie will stick with you. But yeah. I mean, like I not to like switch to a different topic, but like I found it very strange that the girl that was burned alive and once upon a time in Hollywood was burned alive and scream <laughs> like, you know, oh. but, um, but no, like her, the Jack Quaid one, you know, there, it's kind of thing with any screen movie, like every character at some point flashed in my head of like, Oh, could be whoever. And I definitely thought of him multiple times. So when it was revealed, you know, like I wasn't terribly shocked. Um, but I mean, I, th- I thought it made the main thing, I guess. And this is what we'll, what you were kind of alluding to with the meta narrative of it is that I didn't really care as much about who the killers were like that reveal. I just particularly loved the, their motive of yes. being basically like. I mean, you know, the scream equivalent of like angry Star Wars fans or whatever, (laughs) like people, people on message boards, you know, nerd raging about whatever it is that they love. Um, I thought that was very clever. And I don't know if that's like irritated some people, but I thought, I mean, it, it rings more true than you would like it to. But it really does, yeah. uh, because there's so many people who are protective over what they're fans of, yeah. And you know, sometimes they'll say stuff like, Well, that's not real, insert whatever franchise it is. So, the fact that they took that and this movie has its own set of movies inside their universe, you know, and the fact that these two characters are such diehard fans of not only those movies, but of also the original murders that they want to pay homage to those by bringing it back to the roots, you know, <laughs> you know, like it, it went off the, it went off the rails in the eighth installment, mm-hmm. hint, hint. And now they, they want to get back to what, what's supposed to be the essence of the franchise. So I found that to be hilarious. Yeah just a dunk on like that entire type of fan was hilarious to me. It's to me, it's that is the best aspect of the movie is that is the motivation because it's the one thing, like it is the one thing that sort of 
evolves on the franchise as far as like we said, like, you know, you can, there's not too much you can do as far as a reveal of killers. Like it's, it's going to be predictable to some extent, but it's motivation. Like, what can we do with that? And I think that the directors and the writers really, really like nailed the motivation. Um, I think they did as well for sure. Now, one upsetting thing for me is losing Officer Dewey oh, man. halfway through the movie. Brutal. I was like, no, you got to be kidding me. It is so, I mean, it is unfortunate for the, you know, real life participants, but it there is something added to the emotion of like that character and his relationship with, um, um, uh, Courtney Cox's character because like this movie clearly knows that they were married in real life and they're going to play it up by like having pictures of them and them having like, you know, cause they're divorced in the film, but them having like that great conversation outside of the, uh, the crime scene. And it's just like, I mean, really perfect. And the execution of his death in the hospital, which is just, the hospital sequence in general is just a terrific set piece. I mean, it's really tense, really well shot. And, you know, as far as Dewey's go, and Dewey's my favorite character because he's so lovable and so oddly brave, even though he's, you know, they play him off as like a, a, you know, like a dummy half the time. But like, what a, what a great death though. I mean, like it is like a really like epic kind of heroic what like way to go but i mean when it's happening it was it was pretty pretty heartbreaking yeah i i agree because i wanted that character to be able to make it to the end yeah uh but i understand why they went the other route of having sydney mm-hmm. and gail be the ones to to be there at the end um just symbolically sydney is the final girl of the generation like from the late 90s 2000s she was the last girl in that generation so having her not only be at the end but also be a key figure in how to stop the killers yeah. because like she comes prepared she's like no 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 <laughs> i i've gone through this too many times i'm bringing my own gun i am ready to shoot down people she says this I'm, is I'm, ending i'm bringing my own guns and i'm gonna shoot through doors i'm not even <laughs> yeah. gonna open doors i'm just gonna shoot through them that yeah was, that was like my that's my favorite thing in a movie like all year <laughs> she was, um, like not even messing around like no no i'm not gonna be ambushed by opening a door no i'm just gonna shoot right through it mm-hmm. that's hilarious uh, so I think the movie, it it leaves a very good feeling mm-hmm. towards the end. And I think they have gone ahead and they have optioned for a sequel to this, if I'm not mistaken. A day, like a day or two ago, yeah. It's, yeah, so. I mean, it's not, it's not a surprise because the movie did so well. The way I could like, the best way I can sort of summate like this movie is just like, it's very... If you're a fan of Scream, any of them, this is just a very satisfying Scream movie. Like, it doesn't really, like, I wouldn't lie and say that, like, it elevates, you know, like, the franchise necessarily or the genre. It's just, you know, the directors clearly, like, like love Scream. 
and then you know and you know god rest Wes craven's soul he can't make another scream movie so they're like you can tell that they're coming from a place of passion and love. And so it's like, we're going to make the best scream movie that an audience could ask for. And so that's to me, that's why the movie succeeds so well. It's because it's just like, it's like, this is what you want from scream. I mean, it's, it's the meta, it's the suspense, it's the reveals, it's the, you know, the gore at times, like it's all there. I mean, I don't, I don't understand really what more you could ask, you know, from a scream movie. Yes, and so we will be looking forward to what the next Scream brings. If they bring some of the new cast back, like uh, Melissa Barrera, maybe she becomes the new face of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, if some of those older legacy characters come back again, or maybe they just leave it in the hands of the you know of the younger characters, we'll see how that goes. But overall, a very good time at the movie theater watching Scream. So. If you haven't checked it out and enjoyed us talking about it, go ahead and check it out at your local movie theater or when it drops on VOD very, very soon. All right, so we have gone ahead and talked about Scream. So now we're going to move on to the second movie here from January that we had a chance to watch but not talk about yet. You know, we're we're doing a great job. We're <laughs> only a couple weeks after the fact. But now we're going to talk about a movie that's on Amazon Prime, and that is The Tender Bar. The Tender Bar is directed by George Clooney. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> uh, so it's written by William Monaghan. It's based off of a memoir by J.R. Moringer, and it stars Ben Affleck, Ty Sheridan, Lily Rabe, Christopher Lloyd, and Daniel Ranieri. Uh, now, this movie, there's no box office because it was released on Amazon Prime, although there was some you know, New York and LA releases at the end of the year last year, So, I'm, but I'm not going to count those. Now, this movie, surprisingly to me at least, has a 52% on as a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, 70% audience score, and the critics' consensus reads as follows. It's well-acted and suffused with a warm, nostalgic glow, but none of that is enough to overcome the tender bar's sleepy, sentimental noodling. That's an interesting phrase. So, I know, noodling. So, Chipper, what did you think of the tender bar? Um, okay, I watched it today so i should be able to give you a good uh reading on it because i remember it um i was i'm pretty surprised to say that i really enjoyed it actually i the reason i say i'm surprised is because clooney as a director has had one of the most one of the strangest careers to me i mean i think he has made a handful of really really solid i mean particularly i'd say the tender bar is the his best movie since probably like the ides of march which mm. i think is a really underrated political thriller and i thought this was like a really good film for him to make specifically in you know response to some of his more recent movies this felt like a really it's kind of one of those, it's a stereotypical thing to say or a cliche to say, but it's like, this is the type of movie they don't really make very much anymore. This is yes. a very sort of like 
to reference another Affleck movie, this feels kind of in line with sort of like a Goodwill Hunting or a, you know, like a movie of that sort of like Miramax era. You know, it's very, it's, it's, you know, it's sweet at times. It's funny. It's all character. Um, Affleck is absolutely terrific in it. I think that I actually think he's given two of my favorite supporting performances of the year, this and last duel. And I think if we're talking Oscars, like I would love for him to be nominated for this. I mean, I thought he was the best part of the movie. I do. I will say I have problems with the movie as it goes along, but we can get into those, you know, spoilers or whatever. Yeah. So I will agree with you on Affleck. Affleck is giving a tremendous performance here. I he is because the movie uh, just so where where the movie is about a boy growing up on Long Island who seeks out a father figure among the patrons of his uncle's bar. That is a very simplistic view of the movie, mm-hmm. but understandable in the context for the main character because the main character is played by two people. Ty Sheridan plays the older version of the character and Daniel Granieri plays the little kid version and Ben Affleck is, well, Ben Affleck and the rest of the family are the constants throughout. And so, yes, this is a kid who is looking for a father figure and Ben Affleck as the uncle character is just wonderful. Just a wonderful character, you know, is teaching this this kid the ropes about life, mm-hmm. you know, telling him what you need in life, what you don't need in life. This movie is set in the 1980s, early 80s, I believe, because he, he goes to college, mm-hmm. you know, in the latter part of the decade. And I really feel that the connection that he builds with that character, with J.R., is some of the best stuff that I have seen in a while when it comes to characters. Uh, Forming a bond through teaching him the ropes of just everyday life. Um, I really enjoy the first half of the film more than the second half of the film. Yeah. Uh, And we'll get into why, but I think there's just something about not being in a certain setting Mm -hmm. for the second half of the movie that kind of just... I wouldn't say it loses its way, but it it feels like as if it's kind of trying to find where to put its you know flag in. Yeah. In terms of what am I trying to say here in the second half of the movie? Yeah. the The movie sets up a like the actual setup of the movie is really really great, and then the second half because of and it has to do with the, I, I'm sure this is sort of the double edged sword of being like an adaptation of something. But like, you know, the plot has to take you away from that original initial setup, but it's just not quite as it's not boring, but it's just not quite as interesting as right. the setup. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And I, I think I know exactly what problem you may have that I think I may have a similar issue with. Mm-hmm. So so we don't stall too much. We're just going to go ahead and jump into spoilers for the tender bar right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, so we can go ahead and discuss 
the tender bar a little more in depth now. Okay. Uh, so the first half of the movie for me feels like this sense of wonder because you're viewing it through the kid's eyes. You're you're viewing it through the eyes of JR. Mm-hmm. So he gets to hang out with his uncle, his family. He loves being at his grandfather's house, who's played by Christopher Lloyd. Uh, even though the mom is going through a rough patch and, you know, JR mentions it because we do hear a voiceover of JR describing that time of his life, but there's still a sense of wonder like, oh, my cool uncle is helping me. You know, he, he gives me money and he takes me for rides and I get to hang out with him at the bar. Yeah. You know, and, you know, all that stuff I feel is some of the best parts of the movie. Mm hmm. It's when he goes to college and there's the love angle mm-hmm. that kind of you're looking at it. It's like, uh, it doesn't feel like it's working. I mean, it was very odd watching it. When it gets to that point in the movie, it was more like, it's not necessarily that anything that the execution of it is, you know, bad, you know, the the performances are good. I thought Ty Sheridan was actually good in the role. And sometimes he can be kind of bo- like a boring actor to me. Um, and I thought the girl that uh, the love interest was well performed. And I thought his buddies were really good. It's just that it's not the Uncle Charlie storyline. Like that is the problem because I thought I would say wh- however long it was into the movie that that first part is. So like the first 40 minutes, I was like, this is one of the best movies of the year bar- or of last year, bar none. I thought Affleck's character was just, he's so warm and it's such an interesting character. I really, really appreciated the way in which he was really, it was specifically teaching Jr. you know, how to be like a, a good man and like all the things, you know, that you need to know how to do. Like, you know, he talks about changing a tire or changing your oil and all that stuff. But then also like uncle Charlie is really, you know, the name of his bar is the Dickens. Like he loves literature. He loves to read. Like he's a self-taught person and he's really, you know, kind of hyper intelligent. And so like the best way I could think I can say about this movie is like, the scenes where they're in the bar, when the when the little Jr. is in the bar and meeting all the buddies, I could have I could have watched a whole movie just of that, like of just them, you know, Uncle Charlie teaching them lessons, and then Uncle Charlie's crazy friends coming in and like having a relationship with with Jr. I thought all of that was really well done. I thought Christopher Lloyd was great, and that's the other problem is like this movie gets to a point where Affleck isn't in the movie much anymore. And Christopher Lloyd's character is never like never shows up again, basically. And it's kind of just like, man, the things that really like hooked me kind of get taken away. Um, so like you said, though, like the movie didn't lose me 100%. I was never like, this movie's off the rails. It's just that it doesn't end as strong as it starts. So I, I agree with you on that. That that was my feeling of the movie because I was, I was emotionally, I was in with the movie. But I don't know, something about Ty Sheridan, I don't know what it is that 
in most performances that I've seen him in, I haven't really engaged with him as a lead. You know, uh, he's shown up in in movies from the past few years. Obviously, there's Ready Player One and there's X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men. There was the other one. I can't remember the, the name of it. Dark Phoenix. So, you know, he plays Cyclops there. And then he was in this recent movie last year. I think it was called Voyagers. Uh, there's something about his character that just, I don't know why I don't connect with him or don't feel like I really like him. Same thing happened in another movie from just a few months ago. And there was the card counter. Yeah. The card counter is it's humming along on at a certain pace in that movie. And for me, I was intrigued throughout the movie, but when he shows up, the movie kind of changes in that one. For for sure. I would say for me, the the difference between those two, because the card counter, the card counter was one of my favorite movies of last year. And even though I didn't necessarily like his performance or his character, the problem is to me is that this movie hinges so much on him because I mean, he is the main character of the second half. I mean, like you're with him the whole time and I, and you know, he's a big part of card counter, but it's still Oscar Isaac show. But the thing is with him, he almost has like, I don't know what you would call this. It's almost like the Ansel Elgort effect or something like that. Like, it's just like these actors that, you know, they really try and make them movie stars. And even if they had, it it doesn't necessarily have to do with talent. Some of the times it's just like, hoisting them into these leading men or leading lady roles when it's just like almost like they just haven't put in the work necessarily or something. Cause there's something about Ty Sheridan where it's just like, he just doesn't quite have, he's not always like very charismatic. I did. I thought in this movie he was, I, I, I did like his performance more than some of his others. Cause I thought he was a little bit more kind of funny, a little bit more charming, but he still does have that sort of, He's like, like just a little bit boring is what I would say. So I agree 100%. Yeah. So that is what weighs down the second half of the movie. And also the the movie kind of steers away from the main plot, which is Jr. looking for that father figure. Mm-hmm. And not just in the people around him, but he's actually looking for his father. He wants that connection with him. And the movie kind of steers away from it for a little while. To allow you to get a love angle where he is trying to uh, basically get with this girl who he is falling head over heels with, but she's not reciprocating in the same way. No. They hook up for sure, but she is not feeling that relationship. She, uh, It's Sydney is the name of the character played by Brianna Middleton. Yeah. And we keep returning to these two characters at different points in their lives. We we meet them in college. We meet them right after college. And we meet them once he gets a career going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they meet up again. But she is now about to get married with someone else. So it just feels like I don't know what that part of the movie is trying to tell us. It's one of those things like you – I felt like – in that part of the story, I felt myself in the position of of 
like the Affleck character or even of the mom a little bit where I'm just like, I'm like, what, like, why is Sydney? I, and I get it because it's first love and all of that stuff, but it's just like, dude, like S- Sydney's not great. <laughs> like from the first time you hooked up, she was just like, I'm with, I'm with somebody else. And this happens like on multiple occasions. And I thought, a, just in the right, and I'm sure this is from the the book, but the writing of that character was so bizarre to me. Like she, to what end is she messing around with Jr.? Like there's no real reason given. I guess it's that she's with this guy that she's eventually marries, but she doesn't like him enough to like not have like sleep with Jr. I don't know. I thought there's the whole sort of like conception and execution of that storyline felt very just strange to me. It didn't really have, it didn't really have much of a payoff. I would say that was, that's the key thing because if, if at least he, he wins her over, maybe you can say, Oh, okay. I see how we got there with this story. But in the end, it's just a guy who never gets the girl that he wanted originally. You know, right. Yeah. It, it's such a weird side quest almost that, that we're put on because at the end, we should see that conflict mm-hmm. with the father, but we're not getting enough of that conflict with the father. I We get moments here and there, like bef- just as we're getting to the middle point, we finally meet him mm-hmm. in person and then they save him for the end. We don't get more moments of conflict that pushes the protagonist forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think honestly, a lot of this, it is indicative of Clooney's worst tendencies as a director, which in like the movies of his that don't work, which is, and there's plenty of them. He almost like, he has a very hard time of keeping his narratives like succinct they always divulge into something that really like i i don't know if you ever saw um he did that movie suburbicon which is maybe to me to me maybe the worst movie he's directed and like it's one of those movies like it's it's like he took it from an old coen brothers script and so like the first part of the movie is like in that sort of dark comedy level but then it becomes almost like a movie about like you know there's stuff about like civil rights and like the 60s and it's just like it just doesn't blend. It's like two, he has a problem of like getting two or three movies in one script. Um, and as a director, he just doesn't quite know how to. I don't know, like lean, make it lean. I, I don't even I don't know yeah. the right word, but he 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 kind of stuffs the movie a bit mm-hmm. with multiple ideas yeah. instead of focusing on one. Mm-hmm. and allowing the characters to grow within that one idea. Yeah. And that's the that's the most important thing. You don't want to overcomplicate things mm-hmm. and you don't want to add too much because then like you and I when when the main plot is not the one that's being yeah. progressed on, 
we have this side quest, it's like, oh, well, I'm kind of losing the thread here of this movie. Yeah. When it should be a clear, like as clear as day, what it should be trying to do. Yeah, and, for sure. And and I'll give to this movie's credit, you know, the difference between this and something like a Suburbicon or was the last movie, like the Midnight Sky or something. Is yeah, that, on Netflix. Yeah. Is it, I mean, this movie is, it's, you know, it's, it's never not entertaining. It's very light. It's a breezy watch. You know, it's, I think it was like, what, an hour and 45 minutes? Like, it's not a long commitment. No, it's not. So, you know, I, I did enjoy it, enjoy it overall. It's just that the tendencies that kind of nag me about him in particular as a filmmaker are, are prevalent. Um, but, I mean, I thought, you know, um, Moynihan's script is really good. Some of the dialogue really sings. Um the characterizations of the the leads are really, really, you know, well executed. So, the, I mean, there's plenty to recommend about it, for sure. Right. And I think it all just starts with Affleck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Affleck just has such a command of the movie when he's in it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to take your eyes off him. You always want to pay attention to his character. Yeah. Uh, you know, he drops these little nuggets that are written, you know, from the memoir into the screenplay Yeah. that are just, you, you think about them and, you know, a man should always have, you know, money in his, in, in his little pocket of his wallet and he should always have a car. Yeah. You know, those two things, those are two of the most important things and little nuggets like that. And, and he's so straightforward with the kid as well. Like he tells him, Hey, I saw you playing sports. You're not good at sports. Yeah. So you may want to look at something else to do in your life. Dude. So he's so honest. It's a, almost brutal, but it, it's still charming when it's coming from him, interestingly enough. I mean, he is he is the reason to watch the movie. I mean, he's so – it's just such a fun character. I definitely think – I mean, it'll go down as one of the best roles he's ever had to me. I mean, even though the movie itself is just kind of – to me, it's, it's, it's good. It's fine his character really shines and it's just like, it's also just like Ben Affleck was like, I just want to roll where I can just smoke as many cigarettes as I want. <laughs> Cause I'm already doing, I'm already doing it off screen. You just, just keep the cameras on me at all time. I'll have a cigarette. Oh, there. that is hilarious. And you're right because he does throughout the entire thing. It's, it's, it's great. Like there's a later part where he's like, you have your cigarettes on your right side and you're, what drink on the left and i'm like ben affleck did you write that line like <laughs> i don't know he went up to Cooney, he's like hey I, I got a line that i think that i'd like to throw in exactly <laughs> oh that is hilarious yeah. so uh i i really like the shout out that you said that this is one of the best performances it'd be cool if he got a, be- a best supporting actor nomination for this one because i think it's worth it i think it's worth it and it's it is it's the definition of a, like a great supporting role. Cause I mean, like so many times like supporting roles that get nominated are like basically like second leads, but this is like, this is sort of, I mean, it's like, this is a, not a great comparison, but like, you know, Hopkins and silence of the lambs, like he's only in the movie for a short amount of time, but he is essential to the story. Like, I mean, he literally supports the story. So, I mean, it, it, it's a perfect role for that, uh, you know, Category. It really is. And I I can't wait to see what they do with the nominations. Because right now, as it stands, 
well, this is all kind of speculative. Speculative. Uh, when it comes to best supporting actor, right now the favorite is Cody Smith McPhee for um, Power of the Dog. The Power of the Dog. Uh, and then everybody else is basically just happy to be there for a nomination. Yeah. So if that's going to be the case, if Cody Smith McPhee kind of has this locked up, mm-hmm. just go ahead and just just throw in some like deserving performances in there of you know some big name actors because why not? I mean, especially someone like Ben Affleck. Why why couldn't he get a nomination over? Someone like Cooper and Licorice Pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's just. And, and part of it, too, is like, and this isn't a great way to think about it, but Affleck, to me, like this year in particular. I mean, he's he, he's about as big of a movie star as you can possibly be. But it's interesting that this year it's almost like he's like, I'm just going to choose small roles for movies that I think will be good. You know, like Last Duel. I mean, obviously he co-wrote that movie, but like he chooses maybe the most despicable, oddly hilarious character that you could choose. And, you know, he's it's the same thing as this movie. He's only in it, you know, however, like 20, 30 minutes, but he completely shines in every scene. And same in this this movie, um, obviously in a more like positive light. But I. I mean, I love Affleck in general just as an actor. I would be happy to see him get nominated, honestly, for either. I thought I think both performances that he gave last year were just really, really exceptional. I very much agree with you on that. So I think unless there's anything else that you wanted to mention about the tender bar, I I guess the only other thing I would like sort of kind of point to is just I did think the other main like positive thing to me was I thought that Moynihan did a really good job with like the script and far as the actual like dialogue. And I'm sure a lot of this is taken from like the book maybe, but um, even though this is like, could not be more different than something like the departed, which Moynihan wrote, it still has that very like kind of like funny, but like really like rough edged dialogue. And for you know in the hands of a really good actor like Affleck that dialogue is just like it's like Shakespeare it just sings it's perfect it really does sing when when he writes good character dialogue that people can like get their hands on chew and just really uh carry a scene with it, it it's very good stuff so those are our thoughts on the tender bar and previously scream let us know what you thought on social media you can reach out to us at always critic pod uh, you can find us on twitter instagram facebook and tiktok once again that's at always critic pod if this is your first time listening thank you so much for giving this show a shot go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcast app we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and many more and if you like us give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts and spotify uh, they go a long way for us. And finally, if you are a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. I want to thank Chipper Beal for joining us. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I had a blast. I uh, hope hope to do it again sometime. It was a good time. Yes, we will look forward 
to you down the road for sure. I will definitely call upon you. So with that said, that has been our show. I'm Rico, and this has been the Always the Critic Podcast. Oh,